This is the Theology Matters podcast, and I'm your host, Joshua Malden. I'm here today with Professor Friederike Nussel, who is a systematic theologian based at the University of Heidelberg in Germany. Welcome to the podcast, Friederike. I'm very glad to meet you here. As I think I told you in the email, I'm doing a set of podcasts where I connect up with CTI members uh, around the world who've been in our program in the past few years to sort of talk about their work, but also to see how they're thinking about this pandemic from a theological perspective, how it might be affecting their their ideas. Before we started recording, you were telling me about the particular institution that you are working for now at the University of Heidelberg. Tell us about the, the institution you're working at. Well, I'm currently also full professor for systematic theology and um, i have two functions um, one is to be the director of the um, ecumenical institute um, at heidelberg university which is part of the um, theological faculty um, and was founded right after the war um, to um, to respond to um, the deep, um, ecumenical movement and its um, academic impact and um, this uh, I've been doing since 2006, but only this year in March, I um, uh, was given a new position as the director of the Masilius Kolleg. Um, Masilius is the name of the founder of Heidelberg University in the uh, medieval times in the 14th century. And um, he was a very interdisciplinary person. And so the Masilius Kolleg, is an interdisciplinary institution for advanced study with in, internally internally in Heidelberg and um, has the name of the founder of the university. So together with a medical scholar, I'm the director of this institution and it has a fellow class um, that meets for one year every week and uh, people come together to work on interdisciplinary projects. So they apply with the project, and then if they are chosen, they can do the project with two or three colleagues. And normally we have around 12 fellows in different projects, which we discuss. So it's a kind of think tank in, at Heidelberg University. You were at CTI in 2013-14 in an inquiry on religious experience and moral identity. And I thought we could start as well by talking about Tell me about the, pro the uh, project you were working on in that inquiry. Um, my project was about uh, religious experience and the role of narrativity in the um, formation and the way in which religious experience is shaped, the way it informs moral orientation. So my, my point was to say that the way in which perception of moral situations and situations of decision-making are somehow framed by the way in which we perceive situations through narrative coding. As we were saying earlier, I'd like to hear from you sort of to talk about how is this pandemic, of course, we're, it's affecting all of our lives. We're having to stay home, do a lot of things digitally as we're doing right now. How are you thinking about this, this crisis? First of all, I would say that the narrative dimension is important here as well, because a crisis is a crisis through the way in which we um, narrated how we, uh, the way in which we describe it. So far, my perception is that we are only in uh, in the beginning of um, describing and perceiving the crisis in 
some kind of a narrative because it's still going on. So this will be a future topic if, or maybe for theological uh, reflection. But uh, first of all, I think it's important to um, put the crisis in context and uh, realize um, that um, this pandemic is not the first one. History of man and the history of religion is full of events and processes in which the life and flourishing of populations has been severely threatened and challenged. Um, so from a theological uh, point of view, we should also reflect that the greatest possible threat to do, uh, human life is human sin. Um, we tend to forget this sometimes. Um, sin separates human beings from God as the source of life. And in the history of Christian theology, especially in late medieval times and in the time of the Reformation, the eternal impact of sin and divine grace were much more important than, for example, pandemics or wars and other sources of human suffering on earth. So um, I think what we learn through this pandemic is how much our perspective on suffering has changed since uh, the time of the Reformation, for example when people were so much focused on eternal life and the attitude and as the primary goal of human life. In light of this historical perspective, I think we might develop a new um, sense for the way in which we perceive the COVID-19 pandemic and how we decide about our priorities. I found it quite interesting to see when in March universities um, closed down, they explained on their websites um, that they do it for um, the health, for health and security, and that this would be the most important concern at the moment. And I, I wondered whether this would have been said by the um, uh, reformers in the 16th century, whether um, health and security would have had this strong impact at the time. My my point here is to say that our um, our perception on suffering, the importance of health and so on, has changed a lot. Mm. Um, and the crisis makes us aware of this um, priority in new ways, especially since we now have to reflect how to balance economic and social factors over and against the um, primary issue of um, preventing dying and uh, the con uh, and uh, the problems of health caused by COVID-19. When you say that our vision of suffering has changed, is it just that we're sort of less used to suffering? We're yet, we're, we tolerate it less because we don't ex we don't experience that sort of level of finitude in the same way? Or physical suffering and also some forms of mental suffering are much more important as an evil today than, for example, moral um, evil, which uh, used to be called sin. To be in good health and to um, to ha not have any physical pain is um, so important today in relation to other evils. Of course, this is a sign of the uh, fact that the eschatological dimension is not so much in the foreground anymore as it had been in the late medieval times and in the time of the Reformation. So has this pandemic, is it 
sort of leading you into any other research ideas, changing uh, any trajectories that you're on? I mean, I think this historical perspective you're talking about is very interesting, but are, are you thinking about these things in your own work? Well, one point will certainly be um, to reflect the whole question of theodicy uh, with regard to this um, new catastrophe. One could say that there is a history of exemplary uh, catastrophes like the earthquake of Lisbon and the Holocaust, which changed, which always changed the perception of divine justice and in relation to evil and um, the evaluation of physical and moral evil. And I think now we have, we might be in the situation that uh, we have to reflect uh, moral evil in new ways. So the doctrine of sin is actually something that is maybe needs to be reconsidered in comparison with uh, the doctrine, uh, recent developments of the doctrine of sin, which focus so much on the structural dimension and the social dimension, the role of social construction and so on. We could maybe now see that there is a new focus here, the whole issue of knowledge and control. It strikes me that in the beginning of the crisis, there was some a sort of perception and language um, that communicated that we will somehow control this. We know enough about virology and so on. And we will somehow control this. But um, I wonder whether we have to reflect again the real impact and capacity of control. And maybe we should um, go back to a sort of new um, humbleness as a virtue to realize what we don't know and what we don't control. So this would be one focus. I'm not saying that I would change topics of my research, but I would probably um, change the focus in this research. And one example would be um, the focus in my research on sin. But there is also another interesting dimension. I think what we have to experience at the moment with all these measures of social distancing and the new ways in which we communicate digitally allow us to get new perceptions of the role of bodily presence and bodily nearness, the way in which we communicate usually if we are sitting next to each other. I find it quite interesting to observe what is different in digital communication when we can see each other via Zoom, for example, and talk to each other, but still there is no physical presence. And I think this is quite an interesting topic for um, further encountering our embodied interaction. Maybe uh, as a last question, I'd like to circle back to your point about how we need to think about narrativity in this pandemic, in this crisis. Maybe just say more about, you know, I guess there, there could be different narratives of how we, we get through this. One, seeing it as a complete catastrophe, maybe another narrative that sort of finds meaning or, or hope even in the, the uh, even in the difficult times maybe you could speak speak about that and first of all I think um, we will um, we are still in the process of reflecting whether we should at all have a narrative of a pandemic the more we see the numbers um, and at the moment we have I think um, hundred and eighty thousand people who have had um, COVID-19 
160,000 are now um, healed or don't have it anymore. Is this a pandemic? <laughs> it has the potential to be a pandemic and we do everything to prevent this, but it's different from earlier pandemics in terms of numbers, first of all, if you compare it uh, to the Spanish influenza, for example. Um, so I think we are still in the process of <laughs> making a narrative of a pandemic um, or maybe s uh, some sort of a very severe spread of a virus. And so I think then uh, the narrative is not finished yet. It's in the, mm. uh, in the process. At the moment, I think we um, highlight the economic challenge, which is a social uh, challenge. It's now switching to the issue of the impact of families, because what we don't reflect enough at the moment is the um, effect of the closing down of schools and um, kindergarten and all the institutions where children are educated. I think university is um, not, the, not so much a problem as schools. So um, I wonder what it will do to our um, perception of the education system. I think a, a generation of students and children who have um, this in their biography. Uh, for example, all the graduates who will never have a graduate party, who will never <laughs> take, uh, receive their um, 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 Abiturzeugnis, their certificate in person, together with their groups. The fact that our education system is not very um, talented to do, um, replace um, teaching in, in terms of online teaching, we simply don't have enough resources to do this in a good way. Mm -hmm. So I think this will be um, a long-term effect, I think, that will uh, be part of the narrative of what is going on at the moment. It's not so much now, but I think this will be the future um, focus. And especially the, also the um, economic uh, dimensions of it and all the people who uh, lose their jobs and don't benefit from all the supports that are given now by the government. Yeah, it seems like part of the narrative will depend on how much the world changes because of this. If it changes drastically and people see it as, remember what was it like, what it was like pre-pandemic, all those things are mm -hmm. forever gone. Or if it kind of more quickly recovers and more quickly some things are, are returned to their previous state, maybe it will have a different narrative. I think part of um, a narrative perspective to see the changing narrative. Um, so that there is no, um, normally there is not just one narrative, but it's, it's a process of in, in which it is told and retold and uh, reshaped. Still, um, the way in which it is told at a certain time um, to certain people will influence their perception. And this is what is uh, important in my view. Do you have a narrative that you want to uh, hear or put forward? My narrative would focus on um, uh, the issue of control. We have not, so far, we have not reflected enough that the emergence of the virus itself is an issue that has to do with the lack of control, which nobody admits. And um, then also the way in which we think we will handle this, and especially in the first month. It's changing now in my perception, but in the first uh, two months, everybody thought we know quite a lot about this virus. 
um, we know how it is uh, co communicated, um, what we have to do uh, to prevent the spreading and so on. And now they um, have to admit step by step what they don't know. We, we have to develop a new habit of admitting what we don't know and take this as part of our narrative which hasn't been the case so much. Well, I want to respect your time and let you uh, get back to your, your teaching and, and research, but I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. I think that's a very interesting and profound, indeed profound point to close on. So thanks for being on this. Thank you very much for your questions.